Hello, I'm Alex Towles, and you're listening to More Than A Beautiful Game, a podcast about how you can get into the world of football without being really good at kicking one. On this episode, we'll be talking about sports journalism and how you can get into a room with some of the game's biggest names, armed with only a love of the game and the right questions. Joining me to do so is someone who can transition seamlessly from interviewing Gareth Southgate to being URY's unofficial England correspondent. Dom Smith, how you doing? Hello, I love that introduction, unofficial England correspondent. I, I do feel like that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you are a, a, an official England correspondent, if I do say so yourself. That's your um, main focus when you're writing. Uh, what, what, is, what do you do what, as a sports journalist? What I do is I write and try and balance that between writing about philosophy, politics and economics, which is what I should be writing about, uh, and writing about football, which is what I end up writing about. My niche is that I write about the England national teams all the way up from sort of, you know, men's under 17s up to the women's senior and and every team in in between. But a particular focus on on the men's senior, naturally, I do that on my website, englandfootball.org. And I've done that since 2012. (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's a that's quite a long time. You would have been only 12, 13 years old back then. I was indeed. My, the first game I did a match report for was a England defeat to Holland when I was 11. And um, yeah, I just haven't stopped doing it since because I, you know, I enjoy it and I sort of don't really want to stop. You know, if you started that long ago, you, you're only going to carry on, I suppose. Hmm. Well, what made you want to start writing about England? I don't know, really. I've always enjoyed writing and, and being creative within writing. And I, I started to like football uh, maybe a year or, or two before that, that Holland game. And um, I decided I would, you know, mix the two passions and, and write a match report. And I've still got it. Absolutely awful, by the way. <laughs> but I just carried on doing it. And um, I used to write them and then get them on a Word document when I was sort of 11, 12, 13, whatever, and make them look like they were on a newspaper. Um, mm-hmm. You know, big, um, big font headline, the two teams, logos, o- only England games, um, you know, at this point. And um, used to do nothing with them. My dad said to me, you should start a blog. So sort of 2015 or so, I um, I made a blog. And by, at that point, it was it was free. So, so it, it had the domain name ending with .wordpress.com, which wasn't very findable, but, you know, it served a purpose. Mm-hmm. And then since then, I've, I've got the domain englandfootball.org. And I write much more than match reports now. And yeah, I've been doing that since, well, the writing since 2012 and, and the blogging since 2015. So how has that developed over time? Because um, as I mentioned in our little intro, you've had been able to get the opportunity in the last year to um, interview Gareth Southgate before England Games. So how did you get that opportunity? Well, I think the the overriding answer to that is that that you sort of just keep plugging away and, and you know use your I think using your initiative is is not talked about quite enough within journalism as a whole. I think if you've got good initiative, then you know you'll make your own opportunities for yourself. I got involved with something called the FA's Young Reporters Group, which had, was a group of student journalists. Well, they, they weren't necessarily all students, but between the ages of eighteen and twenty-four, who would go as the FA's nominated correspondent to to various sort of, I suppose, less important earlier round FA Cup matches, some women's FA Cup matches as well, and some men's FA Youth Cup matches. So that's for 18 to 24-year-olds. And um, the FA knew about my my blog just before I turned 18. So they said, when you turn 18, Dom, you can join. And, And sure enough, I did. That was very good. Through that, we got to go on a day out to St. George's Park, where we got to interview the England under-19s captain, Jonathan Panzo and meet Henry Winter. 
chief football writer at the Times. And uh, I built quite a good rapport with uh, Henry then. And through various, you know, networking in- initiatives and stuff, I've been able to gather contacts. And um, in terms of the Gareth Southgate interviews, I just plucked up the courage in, I don't know, I think it would have been October, so literally like five months ago or so, emailed the FA and said, listen, I, I have a blog about the England team. It, you know, it's, it's reasonably well-renowned in the industry. And most of the top journalists that, that cover England know about it and, and seem, seem to respect it. So can I be added to the England press pack? And the answer was, um, you know, no quibbles at all. It was literally just, yes, sure you can. So um, in I went and, and then now I get emails whenever there's an update regarding, you know, the England national team for the, for the men's team to do with the press. So um, right now during COVID times, all of the press conferences relating to the England national team, whether it's just five minutes after a match or, or whether it's, you know, Gareth Southgate giving his response to the World Cup draw, they're all done on Zoom. So that, for me, actually, is probably an advantage of the coronavirus. I'm not saying the coronavirus has been a good thing. Of course, it's not, and especially for this industry with freelancers and stuff. But that was a good way in because I could attend these press conferences by Zoom, and, and hopefully, you know, this year, you know, fingers crossed, I'll get to go to some of the games and actually be there with all the top journalists reporting on England games in the press box and actually going into physical press conferences. Mm, and, and you said when you were explaining how you got to visit St. George's Park that the FA knew about your blog before you'd even turned 18. Can you talk a little bit more about how the FA of all of all people first caught wind of you? It came from me appearing as a, as a regular uh, guest, I suppose, um, on a podcast called the Three Lions Podcast, which is the, um, it's either the only or it's the most uh, listened to. I think it's possibly the only um, e- England fans podcast. Uh, it's done by a good friend of mine called Russell Osborne. And I don't know how he found out about me and my site, but, but he did. And I started to become a regular guest in sort of 2017, I suppose that would have been. And then a, a year later, I, I maybe had appeared in two or three episodes. And I think Russell might have been speaking to someone at the FA and um, name checked me possibly. And, you know, their um, their website correspondent found out about me and got me an opportunity, which was, you know, a big opportunity at the time, which was to interview Trent Alexander-Arnold on the Wembley Stadium pitch five minutes after the end of an England game, which was, you know, not only had he got the man of the match and scored his first England goal in that game, but it was also Wayne Rooney's final England game. So there I was down um, on the Wembley pitch, in, you know, waiting for Trent Alexander-Arnold to finish an interview with Sky Sports. And then he came over to me and I spoke to him and that was when I was, I just turned 18. So from that, I got, um, you know, that was my first opportunity from the FA. And then next I was added into the Young Reporters group. Hmm. So it's not just writing for you then, is it? You're already always on various podcasts and stuff. Obviously, here at URY, you're on A Beautiful Game, a semi-regular guest when degree things allow. Uh, but can you tell us more about the Three Lines podcast uh, and any any other podcasts that you've been involved with through your through your journalistic endeavours? I have to say that my, my passion is writing, but I know that increasingly these days, the kind of journalists that outlets are looking for looking to employ are multimedia journalists people who can do everything because you know if you've got two people stood next to each other and one of them can write very well and the other person can do everything very well you're going to employ the person who can do everything very well so i focus on my writing and my and writing on my website englandfootball.org but i do also like to appear on 
on the radio and things. I've appeared a couple of times through being a member of the York's student newspaper news. I've appeared a few times on BBC Radio York. I've appeared on, obviously, I'm a member of A Beautiful Game, both the you know URY show and the URY podcast. And I am going to try this year, actually, to appear on a few more podcasts, but I can't think of anything else I've appeared in yet, but, but I do enjoy it. I, I you know, I, I love, um, you know, radio and, and appearing on podcasts. It's a, it's a sort of refreshing change from, uh, from, you know, the written word. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about how the process that goes into writing, uh, an England blog and England report? Uh, do you mean a match report or, or a post in general about anything? Uh, let's go with the match report. Well, a match report, um, you know, a few years ago, I would have, as in, this is a long time ago, this is probably when I was like 13, 14, I would have watched the game with my dad and my brother, gone to bed, wake up the next day, excited to write my match report, write it, it probably is, it's probably rubbish, and, uh, you know, move on, wait for the next game. Then I started to do the match reports and promised that I'd do them the night of the game. So I'd watch them a game at home, finish all the post-match interviews and nonsense. And then I'd start my report and get it up on the blog. I suppose it would be the early hours of the following day or, you know, aiming for just before midnight. And then these days, what I do, I mean, let, let's assume we're in COVID times because that's all I've known while I've been part of the press pack. I'll watch the game. I'll start my match report at half time. I'll then pause it when the second half starts. The second it finishes, I finish my match report while also being on the Zoom call where, you know, Gareth Southgate and the players are supposed to come on one by one. There's always like one or two England players and Gareth and they all come on at different moments. So I'm writing with the tab and I've got my headphones in and I'm, you know, quickly trying to finish my report. Meanwhile, listening out for when the people appear and when they do appear. You know, I put my thumb up as if I want to ask a question and I'll get to ask, you know, Gareth a question or one of the players a question. That ends. Final um, touches to the blog, which should really be be done by now. Get it on the site, which is quite a long process, actually. You've got to get, you've got to source your photos, any social media posts. I've got to link back to previous articles I've done, previous articles that are related that other people have posted because that can get quite a lot of readers. So yeah, long process, but um, it's all good practice to try and squeeze it down to as little time as possible. Let's move away from the how of what you do and talk a little bit about the stuff that you have done. Can you tell me what your favourite article you've written so far is and why it's your favourite? Okay, I think my favorite article is probably not my the best written, but it's um I'll tell you why it's my favorite. It's probably about a year old now, which doesn't bode well. I shouldn't really be picking up an article which is a year old, but I went on a a PPE trip uh, with the University of York to Greece last last January before COVID, fortunately. And um in the 3 weeks prior, I knew I was going to Athens, knew I was going to Greece, so I used LinkedIn and other social media to um try and get in contact with as many people who are related to Greek football as possible because I was eyeing up writing a, a long form feature piece, interview piece about Euro 2004, which Greece won uh, and why, for whatever reason, Greece don't look like getting anywhere near to threatening that's a success again. So I managed to secure, you know, I managed to speak to about, about 10 or 12 people, all of them said yes. And of course, some of them um, fell by the by the wayside. And in the end, I had to turn some of them down because I had so many eager to 
participate, but I, I went to Greece and conducted some of them over, the, over well, one of them over email, one of them over WhatsApp and two of them in person. And in the end, I spoke to the host of the Greek sports TV show that, sh- that showed on Greek TV, the Euro final in 2004. I spoke to the leading newspaper football journalist in Greece. And I also spoke to two of the players who'd actually won Euro 2004 for Greece. One of them, um, uh, Demetrius Papadopoulos, had played for Burnley in the Premier League, I think, possibly in the Championship. And the other one, uh, Stelius Yanakopoulos, had played for Bolton for years. So uh, wrote that article, four interviews within that one piece, tried to flog it and got a load of rejections, as I would expect, because, you know, at, at this stage of my career, not not everyone's going to say yes. And in the end, it ended up on Copper 90 um, and got over a million views. So that felt very good because it was hard work paid off. And I knew that if I hadn't done the groundwork before going to Greece and securing the interviews, there's no chance it would have ended up on such a you know popular football website with so many readers. Let's try and focus on that a little bit more then on the more freelance side of what you do. You mentioned at the end there that you've got that article, which has gone into Copper 90. I'll try and find that and link that in the description of this podcast for people that are interested. Have you done any other work for publications other than your own? Uh, yeah, I have. I wrote, well, um, I should start by saying that I did an internship with 90 men and that was four months. And in the end, I think I totaled almost three quarters of a million readers. It was enjoyable, very enjoyable, but not not necessarily the kind of football writing that I most want to do. But, um, you know, it was a mixture of news pieces and also feature pieces and, and opinion articles. So, you know, it, it, was, it was good fun. And I've also appeared for The Football Pink, which some people might have heard of. It's not quite as big as Copper 90 or uh, 90 min, but but it's it's certainly getting there. It's uh, you know they're not nobodies. I really think it's a, it's a good organisation, and they post an article a day about the sort of more niche side of football. And my article for them was about a team called Darfur United, which is an unofficial national team. So it's so it's not FIFA. Uh, sort of registered, affiliated, um, but it represents a, the war-torn region of Sudan called Darfur. All of the footballers who, who play for Darfur United are actually refugees who, who fled Sudan and, and live, in, live in Chad. I did an interview piece with them where I spoke to one of the players who has a remarkable story, went to go and compete um, in the unofficial FIFA World Cup. Yes, it exists in Sweden. And 13 out of 15 of the of the Darfur players ended up staying in Sweden because they couldn't bear to go back. And he is now the kit man at the, one of the best teams in the Swedish Premier League, which is um, uh, FK Ostersunds. So that's an incredible story. Uh, and I also spoke to the English manager who, who manages this team and also the guy who organised the foundation which which founded the team, uh, Gabriel. So I spoke to those three, wrote that interview and it ended up on the Football Pink. Uh, and I'm regularly writing pe- writing pieces about football and trying to get them into the newspapers and trying to get them into, you know, uh, similar organisations to Copper 90. Not always with the best success, but... Uh, you know, I'm not worried about about knockbacks. It's sort of uh, use the feedback that you're given about why the piece wasn't quite right for that outlet to um, make it better next time, I suppose. But yeah, no, I enjoy it, and it's um, it's nice to think about what each organisation would you know want to want to commission uh, and and think about what what can I produce that that fit that ticks all those boxes. So yeah. You mentioned getting knocked back a couple of times there and not being afraid of it. Can you go into a little bit more detail about the process of how you go about writing a freelance piece? 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of people will email outlets and be like, this is my idea for a piece. Um, what do you think? And although a lot of outlets will will say that's what they prefer you to do, um, often they won't actually you know, reply to you at all. So I think it's actually sometimes best to take a punt, write the piece. I haven't done any freelance pieces that aren't interview pieces yet, not because I p- uh, prefer interviews necessarily, but because I, I, I don't necessarily know whether people would be interested in me sort of pontificating about something when I'm, you know, 20 years old and it maybe in their eyes don't have the experience. I don't know. I, I will try it this year, but I would say write the piece and then pitch it, link it, send it to as many people as you can. Be honest if you've got two people interested in it um, and say, listen, this, this organization's interested and, and they're, they're a bigger name. I'm afraid I won't, you know, although I sent it to you, I don't think I can put it on your your website, but I, I'd like to write for you in the future and make sure you follow up on that. That's really the process, I think. You mentioned that you have done a internship with the website 90 Min. Tell me about how you got that internship there and um, what you learned from the experience. Well, I got the internship by um, receiving a message from one of my mates at uni who said, look at this opportunity I found. Um, you should go for it. And uh, he sent it to one of his mates who wants to be a sports journalist who lives back home with him. And he sent it to me and, and we both got it, actually. So basically, it's um, it's an internship with the website 90 Min who cover football news and features um, in more of a tabloidy kind of style, but it's certainly not bad mannered or anything like that. It's just certainly more from a fan's perspective, really. You know, it sells itself on on giving the opinions that the fans want to hear and, and what they think. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I had to wake up quite early in the morning, ready to start each day, either and do an 8, uh, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. shift or a 9 to 5 shift. And that would include being given pieces by the editors, doing them, writing them, finishing them, and then being sent new ones to do. And sometimes we were given scope. Well, well, most most of the of the days I was on, I was given scope to write one or more feature articles within that day. So I would pitch a feature article and the editors would say, mm, not sure that would do well here or or don't really like it. Let's mould it like this. Or they'd say, yeah, sure, let's do it. Um, and then you're writing feature articles interspersed with news articles. And um, yeah, lots of people read the articles. Um, it was a good experience in terms of getting a bit of clout, not personal clout, but but getting the kind of numbers that people want to see on CVs. The fact that my all my articles aggregated nearly a million views is the kind of thing someone wants to see on a CV. So, uh, and beyond that, you know, you're writing every day. It was 16 hours a week. So you're writing 16 hours per week more than more than you would normally be doing with and I kept my website up on the side by the way but they always say that the the more you do of something um the more you can do of it and the better you can do it well certainly that that applies here um 16 hours a week was only going to make me better at writing and, and I actually I do think it did yeah so you've talked a lot of there about uh feature articles which is a I don't want to call it jargon, but it's definitely a piece of a terminology uh, used by journalists a lot. So what to you is a feature article? Well, not necessarily is this the case for, for every outlet and for every one. But for me, I try and make my, my feature articles basically synonymous with an opinion article and also a comment piece. I'm basically making a case for something or answering a question. The headline might be a question and as I'm trying to find a broadsheet kind of style, it's never, you know, dogmatic and forthright. I'll present my case, but but it's often a, a bit more nuanced. And I think the reality always is quite nuanced with England, especially England fans quite like 
to to pick whether it's black or it's white. And I think the reality is pretty much that it's always grey. So let's focus back in on your website. You've been doing that for a hell of a long time now, so you must have figured out a general style for what you like to put on there. So what are, what are the kind of pieces that you write for your website look like? What I like to write is is led by what's happening in football. Um, if the England manager leaves a job, as they just have done, uh, the, the women's manager, Phil Neville, leaves, then you have to get that out pretty soon. Uh, I, I'll be writing my article on that tomorrow. You know, you could argue that I should have done it even earlier, um, but I had a, I had an article about John Stones that I wanted to, to bring out, and that's also very newsworthy considering how well he's done recently. So... In terms of news pieces, I don't really do very quick breaking news, um, I wouldn't say. I'm more focused on features because I think it showcases, you know, you have to remember that englandfootball.org is covering the England team or teams, but, but it's also my online portfolio for what I can do and what I've produced and and how how well I do it. So I think where the money is, is feature articles and opinion articles and comment pieces. So I'm led by that. That's what I most enjoy writing. I think everyone will say that about themselves, but I also think it's what does uh, most well in terms of readers. So feature articles, I decide based on what people want to read and what opinions I have. Um, so the, the hashtag Southgate out movement was was starting to gather force in September and October. So I, I wrote about that then. As I say, I've written about John Stones um, a couple of days ago because he seems to be back to his very best. I try not to do lists like top five England goals because I think it's very clickbait. I'm trying to write more for a, a broadsheet audience than for a tabloid audience, not exclusively. And and some of the stuff I write can be a bit chatty, but my style is, I suppose, a bit more chatty within a kind of broadsheet framework. So I won't be doing, you know, top 10 horrific England refereeing decisions because I think that's a bit clickbait really. So, and in terms of headlines, that is really important, what you call your articles. Um, you could have written the best piece in the world, but if you don't know what to call it, then, um, or if you call it the wrong thing, then the readers um, who actually come to your site will be significantly less than maybe your piece merited. So um, I use search engine optimization to get the best uh, headlines. And um, sometimes I disagree with it, <laughs> but um, I, I tend to go with what, what that suggests and what I know people will will enjoy. So you have to kind of be to some extent clickbait but only to some extent you still you still want it to look professional i think what i'd name check is probably the athletic which is a brilliant new organization in football media in the last couple of years and i would i would say my my headlines for feature articles are probably of a similar look to theirs we touched on it a couple of seconds ago then when you were talking about how you write headlines uh, using search engine optimization to try and reach the broadest audience possible when people are looking for England content. But how can you expand a little bit more on how you know what will do well and what won't? Yeah, I think it comes down to picking words um, and picking mixtures of words, which are, and this might seem paradoxical, reasonably likely to be searched into a search engine, but unlikely to have been written about before. A good example about this, I didn't know this at the time, but you know, most newspaper uh, writers and, and other football outlets haven't written articles for whatever reason that include the word fullback in the headline. Um, it's always left back or right back or wing back, but, but never fullback. So 
I had a I had an article which has done very very well in terms of views with which has the the words England and fullback in the title, and for whatever reason that's by a country mile the, the most popular article on the search engines which is to do with England football fullbacks. So if you were to type in England fullbacks, you'll find you should find my article plus a load of rugby pieces. <laughs> so um, I think what that shows is that you've got to find keywords which are relevant to the story, but maybe not necessarily the kind of words that are going to get drowned out by bigger organisations. And on, on, a, on a slightly separate point, finishing a, uh, an article headline with a question is quite good because people want to know the answer. And how are they going to find out the answer? Well, they're going to click on your article. So we've talked a lot about what you do and what you have done, but we haven't really touched on what's next for you. You've said that you want to get involved in a little bit more podcasts, but uh, what is the future for Dom Smith and England Football Dog? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) no one ever knows the future, but um, what I hope the future will entail is that every year that goes by was more successful for my career in, in football journalism than the last year that passed. That, that's a target that my dad said I th- uh, he thinks I should set myself. And um, I would agree with him. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, so far, so good. Um, 2021 needs to top off a year in which I wrote for Copper 90, got an internship with 90 men and started to interview the England manager and England players. So, you know, that was a good year, 2020. So 2021 needs to be even better. Longer term, I want to be writing hopefully about the England team, but I know it's unrealistic to think that that would it, I'd be writing exclusively about that. I want to be a you know a, a reasonably renowned fo- uh, football writer, football journalist uh, in this country, um, writing maybe for a, a broadsheet newspaper or maybe for an outlet like the Athletic, where I'm given you know free reign to write. Um, feature pieces you know i don't i don't necessarily love covering football news breaking news but i know it's um, part of the job but overall i want you know i want to be i do want to be a football journalist i do want to be a football writer and in terms of what's the future for englandfootball.org get more exclusive content get more interviews so far i've interviewed um the likes of peter shilton trent alexander arnold as i mentioned uh, lee dixon henry winter clive tilsley um, Farah Williams, you know, lots of people, lots of people I've interviewed. So hopefully get more interviews, making the football.org even better than it is than it is now, better than it's ever been. So we'll have to see, we'll have to see. But certainly the, the intended future for, for Dom Smith is that he's a successful football journalist. At the end of the day, this podcast is about helping people who might want to get into the world of football behind the scenes. Um, make that first step and helping them learn where and how to make that first step. So what would your key piece of advice be for someone who's looking to get into the world of football journalism? Oh, you're giving me an impossible question by asking for a key piece of advice. Can I, can I give some pieces of advice? Sure thing. Well, I would say, first of all, you know, the rational thing to do is study the work of the people whose jobs you want to steal and spot what they do that spot what they do that you don't and 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 start doing it now you've got to keep your style let's assume i'm talking about someone who wants to become a writer you've got to keep your style and your way of doing things but you've also got to adapt and you've got to improve you've always got to be on an upward trajectory and you've got to get as close as you can to to the level and the standard of the people who are in who, who are in the seat that that you want to sit in so um you know don't copy them 
but um, you, you should certainly be learning from them. Keep contact, um, build up your, uh, your, your contacts book. I've got um, 600, 700, 800 people in my contacts book, including a lot of footballers, a lot of pundits, a lot of journalists, and a lot of people from other sports. And, um, you know, it doesn't, doesn't mean I've spoken to them all, doesn't mean I've got rapport with them all, but it means I've got at least got the opportunity to build rapport with them in the future, get an interview with them in the future, you know, because that first step is knowing how to contact them. Whenever you get given a contact, keep the contact, remember where you put it. <laughs> um, also, you know, I said about setting targets for yourself, little targets that help you get to the the bigger, greater, wider goal in the future. And for me, that's making sure every year is better than the last. Also, really important for, for this era, take care on social media. Don't be getting into arguments about things which are very suspicious and the kind of things that people don't employ people for. Uh, you've got to find your niche in terms of what you're writing about. My niche is the England teams and club football has grown so much that actually the England teams are a niche. And, you know, there's not been a great number of barriers in the way to me getting access to the England team, etc. There'd certainly have been more if I were a Man City fan writing about mancityfootball.org or whatever. Uh, and and the overall thing, I think the, um, the biggest piece of advice I'd give, most important, is say yes to things. Be someone who, who shows initiative by creating your own opportunities as well as showing enthusiasm and uh, trustworthiness by taking opportunities that others present to you. Thanks very much. Before we go, there's just one more question that I have to ask as you're an England writer, Dom. Who is your favourite England player ever? Oh my gosh, I don't even know. Um... Well, I should say that it's not someone who was a world beater in an England shirt. I'm not about to say... Uh, Bobby Charlton to you. Uh, my favourite England player is is Andros Townsend. <laughs> Ooh, that, that's that's the spite. I, I think I could have given everyone listening to this podcast twenty guesses, fifty guesses, and they would not have come up with Andros Townsend. <laughs> Do say more. No, you're probably right, but um, I say that because a personal affinity with him because the first England game I ever went to, he was handed a, a very surprise start. Um, uh, in a in a really important match uh, at home to Montenegro um, in a World Cup qualifier under Roy Hodgson for the 2014 World Cup. We had two home games at the end of the group and we needed to win them both to secure qualification. And we did in the end. And the first one was against Montenegro, who we'd never beaten in three attempts, um, which is horrific, really. Um, and uh, it, st- it started off well. We won 4-1 and Andros Townsend scored an absolute blinder absolutely hammered the balls uh, in from the from 20 22 yards and it crashed off the uh, post and went in lovely goal uh, but but he's you know he didn't have the best England career he played 13 times and he only scored through uh, three goals is okay for a winger in 13 caps but I what I loved about him was that he was so direct he he didn't he didn't feel he didn't look buoyed by the England shirt he, he didn't seem to weigh heavy on his shoulders he was so direct with his dribbling with his running so fast he took a lot of risks and he could shoot so well off both feet. I mean, if you um, if you're listening and thinking, well, three go- three goals in thirteen caps is is rubbish uh, uh, for for the kind of player that's my favourite. Well, what I'd say to that is, you go and look at those three goals. They're absolute scorchers. A, ha- a hammered finish from range against Montenegro, as I've said. Pretty much the same goal against Italy and Gianluigi Buffon, and then the same goal again. Okay, fair enough against San Marino, but you know it's it's not easy to score from range in international football. So he's easily my favourite. He's got one trick, but it's a very fancy trick. 
Yes, yes, you're right. Thank you very much for listening to this first episode of More Than A Beautiful Game. Thank you very much, Dom, for coming on. Thank you. You can find Dom on Twitter at MrDomSmith, and you can find me on Twitter at Alex Towles. If you're interested in any of the other stuff Dom has done, you can find it on his website, englandfootball.org, and I will drop that Copper 90 article in the description below. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of More Than A Beautiful Game. You can find our other episodes on urwy.org.uk or on your favourite podcast provider. Our intro and outro music is provided by Rory McLean, and if you love it as much as I do, you can find more like it on Spotify. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. <laughs>